Our church statement of faith on the Holy Spirit says that the Holy Spirit has been sent from heaven to glorify Christ and to apply his work of salvation. He convicts sinners, imparts spiritual life, and gives a true understanding of the scriptures. He indwells all believers, brings assurance of salvation, and produces increasing likeness to Christ. He builds up the church and empowers its members for worship, service, and mission. The title of the study is The Surprising Scope of the Work of God's Spirit. In summary, we see that the Holy Spirit is fully God, the third person of the Trinity. He creates and sustains life along with the Father and the Son. He supervised the writing of the Bible and is ultimately its author. He points us to Jesus. He gives us spiritual life to be able to see and trust in Jesus. He guides us, comforts and helps us. He empowers and distributes gifts so that we can serve God and each other. He makes us more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit applies the things that Jesus has achieved to our lives in practical and personal ways. He makes the presence and the power of God a reality that we experience and that changes us. This study is in three sections, so you can either listen all through or one at a time with a cup of tea in between. First of all, we're going to look at the Spirit and your salvation. Secondly, the Spirit and the Church. And thirdly, the Spirit, the Bible, and your growth in grace. And don't forget the study guide which accompanies this uh, study and that will lead you further into the subject of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Just going to ask Mandy now to read from the Bible to us. The reading is from Romans chapter 8 starting at verse 1 through to verse 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Thank you, Mandy. So the first section is the Spirit and your salvation. Now, the whole of the Old Testament is in essence the reason why we need Jesus and the promises that Jesus will come. We can see Christ in all the Old Testament scriptures. The person and mission of Jesus is central to all of God's saving plans and purposes. He is the person on whom our faith needs to focus. Why? Because, as Acts 4 verse 12 says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The whole of the New Testament focuses on Jesus too. His life, his death and resurrection, and then it looks at his teachings and applies them to the Christian life and the church. In practical terms, the Bible is telling us that we need to be introduced to Jesus, otherwise we will not and cannot be saved. We need to trust and follow Jesus. But it's also true, though on a different level, that the scriptures are about the Holy Spirit. The whole of the Bible is saturated with the power and work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not put forward to us as the focus of our faith like Jesus, but he is just as utterly and completely essential for our salvation. Think of a spotlight. We have a castle in Newark, and there are spotlights that shine at night to light up the walls of the old castle. Broken down walls, though they are, in parts uh, more intact, but the spotlights shine the, on the walls to highlight them. They're not there for us to look at the spotlight itself, but what the spotlight is, is pointing at and, and shining towards. And we see in John 16 how the Lord Jesus speaks of the, the ministry of the Spirit, helping us to understand who Jesus is and pointing to him. John 16 verse 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So the Holy Spirit is often behind the scenes, working invisibly, not drawing attention to himself, but shining the light on Jesus. But we cannot be saved without him, without the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, the only person who can introduce us to Jesus in order that we can be saved is the Holy Spirit. Now, every as aspect of what it means to become and be a Christian is utterly linked and part of the work of the Holy Spirit. John Calvin wrote that the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectively unites us to himself. Now, the Spirit brings us into and keeps us in union with Jesus, the one who is essential for us to know to be saved. 
the Spirit is the agent, unseen, but who works to create and build a relationship between a lost sinner and the rescuing Saviour. He is, if you like, the divine matchmaker. Now the, the elements of our union to Jesus, or our salvation, which of course is the result of being united to Christ, are, are many, but simply for now, they are how we were chosen and called by God, how we became spiritually regenerated or alive to God, how we turned from sin and to faith in Jesus and came to be justified, how we enjoy freedom from guilt and experience life as an adopted child in God's family. None of this happens without the direct and vital work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible clearly says that before becoming Christians we were spiritually dead in transgressions and sins. But God made us alive in Christ. Now who was the agent of this coming alive, this regeneration? Who gave us this spiritual new birth? Well the words of Jesus in John 3 as he speaks to Nicodemus in verse 3 Jesus replies to him very truly I tell you no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And then a little later, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, one of the most neglected aspects of our salvation is God's adoption of us as his very own children. This was accomplished by Jesus, but we see that it was applied to us by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 to 6. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So Jesus achieved our adoption through his sacrifice upon the cross, which brings forgiveness. But the Holy Spirit applies our adoption by coming into our hearts, making us alive to God and part of the family. How do we learn to experience and enjoy our adoption? By the Spirit. So summing up this section, Jesus achieved every aspect of our salvation and the Holy Spirit applies every aspect of our salvation by making us alive to God, introducing us to Jesus, recreating us as part of God's family. The Spirit makes the presence of Jesus a reality and works powerfully with us and in us to change us to be like him. Section 2 the Spirit and the Church. It's been said many a time that the Acts of the Apostles is better called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the new age of the Church that started at Pentecost is the age of the Spirit working in and through Christ's Church as they preach the Gospel. Before the Lord left for heaven he said to his embryonic Church in Acts 1 verse 4 Do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my Father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you'll, you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So the church, which we have come to be part of, was and is baptised with that Pentecostal baptism. The church came to life on that day, 
It came to life and power by that baptism of the Spirit. George Smeaton wrote this, As a historic fact, the Christian Church came into existence only when the Spirit, by a miraculous effusion, was shed on the assembled multitude of disciples and constituted then the Church of the Lord. We, Christians, those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, we are the Church of Christ. But equally, we are the Church of the Spirit. For example, in Acts 4, verse 31, it says, After the church prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke the word of God boldly. And then Acts 13, 52, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The New Testament teaches us that the church is the temple where God's Spirit dwells. And it tells us that in him, in the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. That's Ephesians 2, verse 21 and 22. We also see that the Spirit distributes spiritual gifts to the church to serve each other with. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Now, using those gifts, the disciples were enabled to boldly praise God in public and preach the gospel. More people became Christians, the church grew, and the Holy Spirit empowered them to tell others and to develop into a Christ-like family. George Smeaton, again, wrote... The church, animated by his Holy Spirit, came into existence in virtue of the election of the Father, the redemption of the Son, and the regenerating grace of the Holy Spirit. How closely the Spirit is connected with that living organism. It will appear when we call to mind that he creates it by his life-giving agency, sustains and supports it in its functions, infuses life, unction and ability for the exercises by which members edify and comfort one another and without whom it could neither exist nor cohere. But the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, every true member of the Church is consciously joined to the head, and the many and various members are held together rather than by inward than outward bonds. Now let's think about the implications of what the New Testament teaches regards the work of the Holy Spirit. We have been given the powerful presence of the Spirit of God, Therefore, we will be able to do all that God asks of us. In our mission to reach the lost, and in the ways we need to change to become more like Jesus. It implies to us that the church can survive and thrive in any age and any circumstance, because he is with us. Our weakness, therefore, is not our excuse. His strength is our reason. Also, every Christian, personally, is indwelt by the Spirit. And then collectively we are the temple, the residence of the Holy Spirit. Consider Ephesians 4, verse 2 and 3. It says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So, to sum up for now, remember that we have been gifted by the Spirit to serve God and one another. 
We have been given the greatest blessing to be saved and to be the people amongst whom God, God's Spirit is powerfully at work. And this brings a wonderful responsibility in the way that we live and love and serve with and amongst each other, the Spirit and the Church. The third section is the Spirit, the Bible and your growth in grace. We've seen how the Spirit is essential to enable us to become Christians, and we can see how the spread of the Gospel from the early days is through Christians empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Christian community in its life of love and prayer and mission is energised by the Spirit who came upon the Church at Pentecost and who regenerates and lives in the heart of every Christian. Romans 8 verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Every Christian is, is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So what about guidance for Christian living and growing in our understanding of God? What about change in my attitudes, speech and behaviour? How, how do we learn and grow? Well, God has given us the Bible and we thank God for that. And we see that the Holy Spirit was fully involved in bringing the Bible into existence and also how we can understand the Bible and, of course, how we get to know God. Now, if you remember back, not long before the death of Jesus, he told his disciples that the Spirit would be their teacher and help them to remember what he had told them. This was essential because the apostles would need to teach the early church and have God's word written down for future generations, hence the New Testament. In John 14 verse 25, the Lord says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So we have the New Testament because of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, God the Son, has achieved the good news through his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and God the Holy Spirit has caused the Gospel book, the Bible, to be written. This is true of the New Testament as well as the whole Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, the Apostle Peter referring to the Old Testament scriptures, he wrote this. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And not only do we have the book from God through the work of the Holy Spirit, we also have his help to understand it. And not just to academically grasp the words, but to know God and to experience his life-changing work in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, 
but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? So we see the Holy Spirit has given us the Bible, and he himself is the key to understand the Bible. And with his help we have a tremendous privilege to understand what God has freely given us, and all he's done for us, his grace, his mercy, his love. To grasp spiritual realities that we wouldn't be able to see otherwise. The ability to make judgments or discern about all things. We have the mind of Christ. Apart from enabling the church to spread the gospel, the great aim of the Holy Spirit is to help the church to grasp God and to make us more like Jesus, God's Son. Galatians 5 verse 22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. In the Old Testament, the new covenant era was predicted. For example, in the prophecy of Joel, we see it was to be marked by an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as happened at Pentecost. Not just on prophets, priests and kings, as in Old Testament times, but on all God's people from the youngest to the oldest. God would do great things and the gospel would go out from Jerusalem and all people who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Jeremiah 31, we see that the new covenant is predicted there and the emphasis in that passage is on God's people's personal experience of God and the assurance of forgiveness. Jeremiah 31 and 31. I will make a new covenant. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then a little further, they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The role of the Holy Spirit is to make this a reality in our hearts and lives. And the Lord Jesus achieved our salvation and the Holy Spirit applies that salvation. Now it's interesting and encouraging to see in the Gospels how that the Holy Spirit and Jesus, the Son of God, work together along with the Father. We see how Jesus' conception was by the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in his ministry, was guided and empowered in the, his works of miracles by the Holy Spirit. They have always worked together following the Father's plan and still do. Now, think of a business leader, a scientist and a doctor. They decide to finance and work on a vaccine. The business leader provides the plans, the funds and the facilities. The doctor works with the scientist to produce a vaccine. And the doctor, him or herself, actually injects the vaccine and cares for the patient. And so the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and minds and spirits to apply the gospel cure and care for us and to teach and train us. The whole Trinity are totally united in the salvation of sinners. And the Holy Spirit is the divine doctor applying the vaccine and caring and then training us patients to spiritual health and wholeness. So let's sum up then with some applications of the surprising scope of the work of God's Spirit. Let's recognise and remember that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Let's worship and love him as God. He is not a force like electricity, a power source. He is the person of God, the Holy Spirit. Let's recognise therefore that God is amongst us when we meet 
what a precious thing it is when we meet together. Let's also remember that we have God with us always, individually, as our bodies are each a temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. So we need to live in the light of the comfort that this brings, but also in the light of the responsibility that this brings. You bear in your heart and represent in your life the Holy Spirit. Let's appreciate that we owe so much to the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the co-creator of the universe with the Father and the Son. He is the unseen agent of what God is doing in the world all the time. He is totally one with the Father and the Son in Godness. And yet he has a distinctive role for which we should be eternally grateful. Amongst his blessings to us are giving us new birth, introducing us to Jesus, enabling us to see Jesus and our need of him and to believe in him. He strengthens and comforts us. He makes the presence of Jesus real to us and empowers us to serve and to change and to become like Jesus. Now the Father is the head of the Trinity. The Son is the focus of our faith and the one we follow in our everyday lives. We follow his teaching, his example, his pattern. But we must never forget the Holy Spirit. We must avoid grieving him. He is amongst us. He is with us. We must also believe in his power. He can and will help us to change. He is in our hearts to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Believe that he can and he will as we follow in his leading and guidance. And of course then we must strive to keep the church unity that the Spirit has baptised us into. Heavenly Father, we pray that you bless your word to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to take it on board and by the power of the Spirit, Lord himself, to have it go into the very depths of our being, to change us and transform us. So we thank you for the study and for what we've learned and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.